host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Thomas Jans. Tom, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. I am so excited for the second round. You know, I thought, honestly, just like globally speaking about the first round, I know there was like a run of bad calls, mm-hmm. right? And there were a few bad hits that got discussed at length. You know, the Cogliano hit, um, McCarr McCann, and, and, and of course the Troopa hit last night. But for the most part, I felt like this was the best of the NHL product. Like, I loved the last two weeks. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And that's, you know, despite some really good basketball, like lots of other things drawing my attention. I I ended up driving to California this weekend. Like I've had a lot going on and yet every night I can't help but tune into these games and I'm loving them. Like I absolutely love the hockey being played right now. I think this was a really good first round for the NHL product. Yeah. Well, well, aside from some of the officiating stuff, but I mean, that's going to happen. I think for the yeah, the part, swallowing though. the whistles thing as the series goes along, which our buddy Cam Sharon is just absolutely documenting perfectly. Uh, the cynicism of that annoys me. But yeah, the, I still thought it was I, I don't think those negative storylines overshadowed, you know, what was a really fun couple weeks of hockey. Well, especially the, the, the game seven of Bruins Panthers was was really fun. But like towards the end of that second period, right, David Pasternak draws that penalty where he kind of like embellishes it. I think against Brendan Montour and the referees clearly went into the intermission, saw the tape and we're like, Oh, he tricked us on that one. And then they just went into the third period and they're just like, we're not calling anything unless someone shoots the puck over the glass. Then then we're definitely calling that. But um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. The, The level of play was through the roof. It was a great showcase for the league, really exciting stuff. And we have a quick turnaround here. Round one ended last night, round two starts right away today. And so Let's go. what we're going to do is we're going to preview the four upcoming matchups as best we can. We're going to go about 10 to 12 minutes on each. Uh, and we're going to highlight what to watch for key matchups. We're excited about uh, potentially exploitable strengths or weaknesses that we might've seen from some of these teams in round one that might come back to life in round two and all that good stuff. So let's start with Oilers Golden Knights. I think this is, um, I, I'm excited about all four of these matchups, but this one in particular, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Uh, this Oilers team looks and feels different to me. I've been saying this for a while now, but I know they had the same result as they had last year against LA, right? They wind up winning last year. It was in seven, this year it was in six, but the way they got there just felt different to me. I know they went down two one in this series, but if you just watch those games and you look through the process, it was clear that Jonas Corposalo was just the, the reason why that was happening. And you felt like eventually they would break through. And in the final three games of the series, the Oilers score 16 goals, I believe, and get those wins and beat the Kings. And heading into this series, I feel like a lot of the questions and concerns we've had about the Oilers in the past, whether it's their depth or their 5-1-5 game or, or what have you, or, or health of star players, a lot of that's been answered for me. And I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I'm freakishly high on this team because I know Me this too. is setting myself up for disappointment uh, based on their on their past, but I don't know I'm how you, disturbingly you can, high on them. I don't know how you can watch these games and not be like, "All right, there's there's something really good going on here." They're the class of the West. I, I mean, that's not to say they're for sure going to win the Western Conference. That's not even to say that they're for sure going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. Although I picked them in five, but I think they're the class in the West. And you know, when we talk about like what's different about this Oilers team. I think about two guys in particular, 
Okay, and this is going to be like the most Durant's two guys you could possibly think of, okay? The two guys that I can't escape thinking about when I think about why the Oilers are different this year are Warren Fogle mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. Brett Kulak. And, right. and here's why. The Oilers dominated in their minutes. Right. Like those were minutes where the Oilers were tilting the ice. I mean, think of all those times against this LA Kings team and the impressive puck movers that the Kings have on the back end where it was like Brett Kulak forechecking. Or like Brett Kulak cuts through the neutral zone like it's melted butter. Um, the Oilers have usually had guys like Kulak in like high leverage roles, right? So they mm-hmm. were sort of struggling to keep their head above water as opposed to eating, like as opposed to really feasting at the table uh, against bottom end of the lineup competition. And, and right now it feels like the Oilers have a level of depth where you know, guys like Fogel and Kulak are being put into positions to be real difference makers, real ice tilters uh, against the bottom end of, of opponents' lineups. And look, Vegas is deep. It, it, it's going to be a very difficult series, I think, for them. And yet, you know, I, I sort of look at the, the combination that the Oilers finally have where you've also got this dominant top end of the, of the roster and a level of depth where guys are slotted appropriately and can really crush it. Um, I just think they've got too much. I think they, I think they've legitimately got, I think they've got the Vegas golden Knights overmatched in this series. Well, so my, my thoughts on Brett Kulak are well-documented. I don't need to rehash those. Everyone listen knows that I'm, that I'm a fan. Um, the, the, the focal point is interesting because Yanmark goes down in game mm-hmm. one against the Kings. Right. And then from that point forward, Woodcroft goes with the 11-7 formation, and that allows him to essentially buy all of these extra shifts for either McDavid, Dreisaitl, or Ryan McLeod, one of his top three mm-hmm. centers, to play with. You know, it was a rotating cast. It was Costin and Ryan for a while. Then they bump you that up in the lineup, and then it was like Yamamoto yeah, and Costin or whatever. But they won all of those bottom six minutes in a series against the Kings where you would have thought heading in, that's the one strength or advantage the Kings have. It's their depth and their how well-rounded their, their roster is. And that mm-hmm. used to be such a weakness for the Oilers. And so you're right. That was a pretty surprising thing to see. And, you know, Fogel wasn't necessarily rewarded for, for goals, but him and McLeod, when they were on the ice, were just absolutely dominating territorially and creating chances. And what a, what a glow up for the McLeod brothers. Uh, we've been, we've been talking about this <laughs> off the air, but it feels like they're like, they're going shot for shot here. One night I watched Ryan McLeod and I'm like, wow, that was a very impressive play by him. And then Mike McLeod goes and scores the first goal uh, in, in game seven last night. And it's like, oh extraordinary my God. patience. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, it's a, it's a good time for the, for the McLeod brothers. Um, <laughs> can we, other... so can we talk about dry with McDavid and Kane? Well, let me just, let me just make one note here on the Oilers okay. as a team, and then we can get into the actual personnel. What impressed me in round one was we think about, I talked about this. We think about the Oilers as a rush team. They dominated the Kings off the cycle. I had the ch- shots off the cycle at 515, 65 to 36 for the Oilers. And Jeez. if they're going to, you know, they're going to get theirs on the rush, particularly with their top six. But if they can dominate in that area as well and keep you pinned in the zone and create chance after chance and, you know, have some sort of an outlet or backup plan in case you clog up the neutral zone and and slow them down a little bit for still getting offense. That's a different component for this team. And that's another reason why we should be high on them. Let's talk about that. So I, I do think that's going to be harder to do though against Vegas with the composition of their blue line. Right. It like will, I, I it do, will, but they're yeah. also going to get more off the rush because I the think rush, the game yes. is just generally going to be played in a more open 
environment, right? Like the Kings mm-hmm. play fast, but like somehow slow at the same time. Whereas <laughs> right. the Golden Knights do like they limit what they give up, but they want you to get into a track meet environment. And I don't think I don't think the Oilers are going to turn that down. I think they'll be like, all right, this is a great opportunity for us to get McDavid going, which is a nice segue here for what Woodcroft's going to do in this series and whether you think he'll stick with loading up that top line the way they did in games four to six against the Kings, or you think they'll go back to what they were doing previously. I think they have to go back because I don't know that the Bugstad, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Hyman line holds Mm -hmm. against Vegas. Like, I I just think that that's, I mean, even in game six, territorially anyway, it felt like that line got lucky. Like the Oilers were a little bit fortunate that the Kings didn't put up, you know, goals or didn't eat against that line. So I I do think that they're going to need to fatten their top six out. If their depth is going to play, I think the Golden Knights have enough in the top nine that they'll have to do that. Like wh- whether they start with Dreisaitl, McDavid, Kane, um, or are proactive about it, I-, I do think that the Golden Knights have the top six talent to sort of chase Bugstad out of the middle. And and by the way, I, I think he's a better winger. Like I know this player really well. I-, I know that his defensive game has really come along since I last worked with him. Mm -hmm. But his size and length and his shot, frankly, play pretty well on the wing or certainly did when he was a younger, more offensive player. And I don't know that you lose a lot flopping him onto the top line for uh, Sorry, not that you don't lose. You lose a lot. But the gains that you have on your second line are so significant that that I'd I'd try him on the wing with one of Dreisaitl or McDavid so that you have at least one of those guys holding the fort five on five, and you can still load up situationally after penalty kills and and other opportunities like that. I would expect Woodcroft to go with that. Um, I thought he had a great first round, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like Woodcroft might be the coach that I sort of come out of the first round. Like like I know everyone will say Hackstall or or Paul Maurice or whatever, but I I thought Woodcroft found answers with extraordinary speed. In that first round, I th- I was really impressed with how he managed that bench. Yeah, I am too, and and I like that idea. If you are gonna split them up to to have Bukestad be the guy bumped to the wing, as opposed to you know they've moved Kaylor Yamamoto down the lineup after adjusting the the top six, and I know he scored the goal uh, at the end of Game Six that wound up being the clincher. But if you go back, I put out a Leon Dreisaitl mixtape from the first six games on Twitter he could have easily had another five to seven assists if, if the finishing talent around him was a little bit better. And so I think, yeah, you're right with Bukestad shot. That would be an interesting combination. Um, I don't know. I can see why it's tempting because the first three games were such a slog, right? McDavid wasn't on the ice for a single goal at five on five. And then you put them together. And in the final three games, they generate five, five on five goals between McDavid and his idol. And so that could be very tempting and alluring, but I would expect it to split them up, especially because as we pivot here to, to, to Vegas and what they'll do, Part of this might be predicated on what the Oilers do with that line, but they they themselves have split up their pieces quite a bit up front, right? They're essentially running like three duos. They're running Stevenson and Stone. They're running Eichel and Marcheseau, and then they're running Carlson and Riley Smith. And I'm very fascinated to see whether they stick that way, whether they themselves load up Eichel with Stone and Stevenson, which is something we saw in the regular season before Stone got hurt, and they were fantastic together. Um, I think William Carlson... Is a is one of the most important players, if not the most important player in this series, yep. because I think he was their best player in round one uh, against the Jets, and you could just see how like his defensive tenacity and how he can bother you, and then turn that immediately into scoring chances 
is such a valuable weapon for them. And they're going to need that because he's him and Riley Smith are the McDavid matchup, right? I don't, I know we saw Mark Stone have success against McKinnon a couple of years ago in that, in that round two series, but I don't love the, the idea of him trying to keep up with them, especially after all of these back injuries. Whereas at least Carlson and Smith have a, a viable chance of doing the Philip Deneau thing where they like just track him all over the ice and make life difficult for him and are always kind of in his back pocket as opposed to just hoping and praying that he doesn't beat you. So William Carlson for me is like a massive key in this series. Yeah, he's everything for them. I, I Vegas has a lot of answers, I think. Like one thing that's interesting to me about Vegas, and again, I, I'm picking the Oilers to win and I'm picking them to win going away. But one thing that when I look up and down the Vegas roster, um, you know, for a team to have as many possible solutions to the problems that the Oilers pose, and those problems are existential, um, it's rare. Uh, this is going to be a big test for Bruce Cassidy without question. But I mean, you, you know, you think about loading up, right? And and as opposed to thinking about loading up from the perspective of making your lines as imposing as possible on paper, could you consider throwing stone onto a line with Carlson and Riley and just putting out your best two-way guys and and trying to control those minutes? Is that easier to do if Dreisaitl and McDavid are playing together? Um, will the Oilers or could the Oilers consider playing, or sorry, could the Golden Knights consider playing Stevenson with Carlson as a way of at least, you know, look, if you're going to try to find someone who can actually keep up with McDavid, there aren't many better answers than Stevenson mm-hmm. from a, from a raw speed perspective. Could we see them try to go, you know, with those guys on wing and, and maybe Barbashev plays third line center or fourth line center, right? I mean, I, I could see that being a break glass in case of emergency well, up front, up front in terms of countering the Oilers. The Golden Knights just have a lot of high quality two way options that they can throw at this problem. I mean, I, I agree. They could even if they decide. Like, I, I'm I'm so interested in that Eichel St- Stone Stevenson offensive line for them. They could mm-hmm. put reunite Marcia So Carlson and Smith, Misfits. and then that leaves them with like a third line of Nick Waugh, Ivan Barbashev on the wing, and then you know Michael Amadio or Howden Red Howden or whatever. Or and then yeah. you still got Carey and. Polis are in the fourth line, like the, the depth on this team in terms of movable pieces, guys who can play multiple positions is, is very intriguing in this matchup. Not to mention the defensive system they have under Bruce Cassidy, where they just let you take shots from the outside of the zone and just block off the entire inner slot and net front all season, which they did to mm-hmm. Winnipeg again. That's, this is going to be a different test for them in that regard against this Oilers team that creates shots from there better than anyone. But you think with the personnel and the structure they at least have a fighting chance of, of making life tough for them. I don't even, I'm throwing out all the defensive data and what I saw against the Jets because that team was just so, you know, injured, but also like lifeless at that point that, that <laughs> the fact that they didn't create any of 515 is on the one hand reassuring that it's like, all right, this is the the Vegas team we saw in the regular season, but also kind of irrelevant because the Oilers are such, such a better team. Um, okay. Here's one final point that I have for you on Vegas that I, that, that I find very interesting. The discrepancy between the talent on the left side and right side on their defense is very interesting for trying to contain the Oilers' top players. Right on the right side, they've got Petrangelo and and Shea Theodore. On the left side, I think Braden McNabb will be back, but it's like Mm -hmm. him and Alec Martinez. Yep. I really like Alec Martinez as a player. He, by nature, likes to just sag back and try to block shots. 
And I could I could see that being a problem, especially if they're going head to head against a guy like Dreisaito, who, despite being left handed, likes to carry it in on that side on his backhand and kind of probe that way. You you need to pressure Dreisaito a little bit more. You can't just let him sort of set up shop. We saw him just carve up the Kings in that way. And so I don't know. There's there's so offense defense in this series is is absolutely phenomenal, and 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 I can't wait to see the interplay with it. I, I think Vegas has options. I just think. The Oilers have this, the the solutions to a lot of the potential defensive problems that could cause them. I, I think if this series spins away from Vegas the way I sort of expect it to, I think pretty quickly you're going to see Nick Hague logging top pair minutes. Mm. Right? I mean, that, him and White Cloud were already sort of their second pair in, in terms of usage in, against Winnipeg. But I, I wonder if we could see Hague's role expand pretty significantly if this series sort of becomes, um, you know, uh, n- not an Edmonton coronation, but if, if Edmonton's generating what they're looking for, um, turning up Nick Hague's role feels to me like probably their best option in terms of having a two-way guy with a little bit more mobility on the left side play a, a greater bulk of minutes and, and maybe even with a different partner than white cloud who he's tended to be kind of glued to. Yeah. Um, on a special teams note, you know, we don't need to talk about Edmonton's power play because <laughs> it's, it's, I think everyone understands at this point. Is it decent? Well, that's okay. Yeah. They're going to get, they're going to create a few goals, <laughs> but you know, I think an underrated quality of Mark stone and his reinsertion into this lineup, everyone talks about the anticipation and the defensive awareness and all that, but he's such an underrated playmaker as a passer. And mm. you, you, that's reflected in their power play data where throughout the regular season, they're very mediocre. They were creating like seven goals per 60 uh, with the man advantage. But when Stone was in there and he was sort of like down low, activating that bumper slot, either as a passer or, or being there as a, as a quick one-timer, um, they were like, they jumped up to 10 or 11 goals per hour. And that was the same case in in the in the playoffs in round one against the jets. And so they're not going to be able to match Edmonton's efficiency on the power play, but I don't think at full strength, it's as lopsided as it would be if you were just looking at like the year long data with, with the context that he wasn't there for a lot of those games. Right. So um, it'll be, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited about this the, one, man. I, I, you know, McDavid said he's worried? expecting it to be played at a very fast pace, much faster than round one. And I was like, I don't know that King series was, was, was pretty fast. So I'm kind of curious speed. to see if that's possible. Uh, do you, are, does it worry you at all that Vegas gave up five power play goals in five games against Winnipeg and is now going into, um, you know, facing probably the best penalty power play we've ever seen uh, against Edmonton? Yes, but I mean, if if it was like an Oilers Hurricanes Stanley Cup final, and I was like, oh, the Hurricanes have an awesome penalty kill, I would still be worried. I don't. I, <laughs> That's true. I don't think it really matters who's out there. Like, I think they're gonna get theirs. I, I guess the the only thing you can do is limit the number of opportunities they get because I I don't I don't think there's a yeah. solution for like keeping them off the scoreboard. No, it's um there, that's the big mismatch. It's going to be a mismatch against everybody that the Oilers face. But this that one concerns me and is one of the reasons why I'm picking Edmonton to advance. All right, well let's um we did 20 minutes on that series so uh there goes our idea of doing 10 per per matchup. We're gonna have to speed through this as usual. Um. Let's do Devils Hurricanes quickly. Let's let's do an Eastern Conference matchup here. So we just saw the Devils close out the Rangers, right? I thought it was one of the most clinical defensive performances I've seen. I said that after game five in New Jersey, and then game seven was even better for my money. Uh, they held 
the Rangers had 31 shots in that game. It was about the most empty calorie 31 shots you're ever going to see in an NHL game. They had five high danger chances. Natural stature cut them at 1.8 expected goals. That seems very generous to me. I'd be shocked if they actually got above 1.5 in reality. Um, it was just, you saw like what New Jersey is capable of in terms of using their speed and skating to just hound slow skaters and then smother them, turn the puck over and quickly transition into offense where I think they also had 10 of the 11 odd man rushes in that game. It was, it was a highly encouraging performance for what they're capable of and what they could do against. I mean, the hurricanes are a faster skating team, certainly, but the pace of that series is going to be at an all time high. I think at an all time high. And yet with both teams sort of utilizing their speed to accomplish two way goals as opposed to, you know, just offense. Right. I I mean, it's not, the sort of track meet we often think about when we think about a track meet, like I think this is going to be a relatively low scoring series just played, you know, at, at a, at a, at a pace best measured in parsecs. I'm really looking forward to it. The thing to watch for, for me, I think from like my, my main thing I'm curious to see here is we all know the injuries have dented the Carolina hurricanes and have removed some of their top end mm-hmm. um, dynamism from the lineup. And, you know, one thing that that led to against the Islanders was, you know, you sick Aho and Stahl basically on Barzell and Horvat. And by the end of the series, like Brock Nelson had what, five points, five on five. Like <laughs> there, were, there were moments where he was one of the NHL's leading point getters at even strength. Uh, the, that Zach Parise Palmieri line also put up sort of crooked numbers too. Um, you know, the devil's, are a really are a really tough matchup for them here because and and we'll see what Timo Meyer's status is. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he's all right, but it, it feels to me like at some point they're going to have to do something like put that Kakaniemi Martinuk line out against Dawson Mercer, and I just feel like that's going to be an overwhelming mismatch in the Devils' favor. It will. So in and the Hurricanes have home ice advantage in this series, right? So they're going to start mm-hmm. games one and two at home with last change. Rod Brindamore, we have a lot of data now in these series where he is going to go above and beyond to get Jordan Stahl's line out there against who he deems to be the other team's biggest offensive threat. And so and I think that's Hughes, right? In well, in in so in the first two games, the game five at in Carolina was a bit wonky because Matt Barzell didn't really play that much at five on five. Um, but in the first two games where he had the full workload, Jordan Stahl was out there for eleven thirty-four of his fourteen minutes in game one and fourteen thirteen of his eighteen and a half minutes in game two. So it was pretty much yeah. just matching them shift for shift. And you're right, that probably will be Hughes. Now the problem is is because of the way Lindy Ruff has has spread out the offensive talent in the top six. It's Hughes with Hala and and Palat, and both of those guys were very productive. And and Palat, I mean, I, I know I know you love his game. In Game Seven, he was absolutely phenomenal, and Hala was love one of the most productive players in that series. But if you're doing that, it's like, all right, well, yeah, Hughes is their most dynamic player and very scary. But then all of a sudden, you've got Hishier and Brat combo. You've got if Myers healthy with him and Mercer. Um, you know, even the on, on the fourth line, Mike McLeod speed. Like, there's a lot of a lot of problems. It's it's Part of the issue with matching up against New Jersey is you're right. If just throw someone on Jack Hughes, all right, well, they've got other guys who can beat you. It's not near necessarily as simple as that. So that would be alarming for me. I guess you could look at it the other way as well, though, right? Like I'm very fascinated to see how much Nico Hishier versus Sebastian Ajo we see in this series. Because if you can if you can neutralize Ajo and Jarvis, 
I just don't see how Carolina is going to generate enough goals in the series to win unless they're winning every game one nothing. And well, so- I wonder, and I wonder too if that matchup gets away from Carolina. If that matchup is not one that in control mm-hmm. um, with any consistency, do we see them have to break up a middle six line to stem the bleeding? Like, is there a world where McEachern gets chased off that top line because he can't? you know, hit that fastball. And what yeah. does that do to to sort of the depth matchups? Uh, this is sort of why, again, I'm picking New Jersey. This is why I picked against Carolina in the first round too. So much respect for what they're able to do. I'm not someone who typically fades the Hurricanes, but I, I do think that they're compromised in a, in a really meaningful way, lacking three top line caliber forwards yeah that's just i just at some point that's going to be too much to overcome and i think it's going to be too much to overcome against a team as well built and fast and dynamic as the devils are yeah i mean his year in round one played 96 five on five minutes high danger chances for the devils were 30 to 11 in that time and he just absolutely obliterated me because of Benajet. Uh, they played 35 minutes head to head at five on five. The Rangers had five shots on goal and zero goals in that time. Um, and we saw just like when you take that line out, it's it's the Rangers are gonna have a tough time creating otherwise. That's even more so true in this case where Sebastian Ajo was on the ice for what six of Carolina's 10 five on five goals in round one against the Islanders. And so yeah. all of a sudden, if you're like if you're gonna match them or keep them in check or even potentially win those minutes with with his year and brat all of a sudden it's going to be just a slog for carolina to create offense beyond just taking wild point shots and hoping some of them bounce in which might not be the worst strategy in the postseason based on what we've seen so far but also not something you necessarily want to rely on i guess one area of concern that i might have in this matchup for new jersey is an issue for them all season was sometimes being sloppy going back retrieving the puck and then kind Mm. of making mistakes off of that. And one of their specialties is the rush defense, right? Like they are so good at stacking up on the blue line, preventing you from carrying it in smoothly. And that was a bread and butter for them defensively. Well, this Carolina team never wants to carry the puck in. So they're just going to dump it in every time. They're going to go back and forecheck the living daylights out of them and try to make mistakes that way. And so that would be a potential concern for me because it kind of neutralizes one of New Jersey's strengths and it's going to make it very imperative that they play as smoothly uh, on those transitions as they can, which has been one of their few weaknesses this season. Well, and I thought it was a weakness that showed the only weakness that showed it all, even in game seven was that the Rangers had some moments where uh, they were able to generate some pressure, particularly in the first half of the game uh, against the devils and the devils were a little sloppy in terms of clearing the puck, making the simple play, which they just aren't, constitutionally sort of wired um, to do that. I think the Carol Carolina hurricanes do force you with, with their stress hockey approach to simplify if, if you're going to overcome it. And I, I think that edge that you just pointed out that stylistic edge is a, is a meaningful one. Like, I think that's going to shape this series. And I think Carolina, despite being shorthanded, um, I, I think they're going to make this really interesting. I don't think this is a quick series. I think this is a drag them out brawl. Um, much like the much like the Rangers series that ended up being for the Devils, um, I, I think this one's going the distance. Yeah, well, Ray Ferraro was all over this in that series, and you know Ray's a really smart guy, so you gotta you gotta listen when he's talking. But he was what, what a great game call, by the way. I'm in the states, oh, so I, I, I had it was an unbelievable game call from 
um, from those two last night. Just loved it, it. It was. But a point he was making all series was the times New York would actually have some sort of success at five on five was when they would get the puck deep and then make New Jersey make mistakes in that way. And generally it was, it was weird because like the guys who were having success were the kid line because they could actually keep up with a skating perspective somewhat. And then sometimes like Tyler Mott and Barkley Goodrow and Jimmy VC, just because they would just go in and crash and bang and create some turnovers and then keep the puck deep in the zone for a bit. Otherwise all the other lines were just too slow and couldn't keep up and weren't creating. And when you're Rangers just didn't have enough two-way talent up front and Carolina only has two-way talent up front. But also (laughs) what, what, what the Rangers were trying to create with Panarin and, and Kane and those guys is like all of these like fancy East West plays where they're trying to stretch them out horizontally. Right. And New Mm -hmm. Jersey was just all over that. They're like, yeah, we're just going to track down each of these pucks. Carolina can, I can't think of a more opposite approach in that, in that way where they're going to never try to do that. They're just going to throw the puck as deep as they can and then just try to keep the puck there. And so just in terms of like uh, what this series is going to look like, it's about as wild, as polarized as like polar opposite as you're going to get, which is nice because it's going to test them in different ways, and it's going to see. I'm going to curious to see how it shakes out. So this will be a fun I know, one. I know fast. Yeah, I know we're short on time. Can I give you two lightning round takes and um, get your reaction to them? Sure. How high would I have to set the line on Nico Heischer Selkie nominations over the next decade before you'd bet the under? Mm. five and a half six and a half just to be a finalist just to be a finalist oh, and remember reputation tough. rules he's gonna but, be one this year and then until he like misses years by injury that be uh, my and, guess. And, and, and that's the thing the key is to get that first one and then as soon as you get on the ballot you're there for the next 10 years so that's what i'm saying um, I, I, yeah. I, you'd have to set it at like seven and a half before i take the under and then, uh, and then I think the Rangers were the most disappointing team in the first round. Honestly, like I know Boston's uh, uh, losing, given the regular season they had, is is more likely to be remembered as historically and disappointing. Colorado, yeah, and Colorado because they were the defending champs and then they lost to an expansion team. But like, mm-hmm. let's be real here, right? The Rangers were able to take this seven because Lindy Ruff made two of the most baffling lineup decisions in games one and two that we've seen in a decade. And then a young team got the yips in game six. Like the Rangers were completely overwhelmed and had no answers for what the Devils did. The Devils beat themselves three times. I I thought the Rangers were far and away the most disappointing uh, team that played in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. I thought the Rangers in the first two games did a good job of taking advantage of some of those mistakes the Devils were making, right? And part of it was self-inflicted, but I thought they did a good job of like kind of forcing them in that direction. But you're right. I mean, if you watch that game seven performance, it was about as embarrassing of an effort, like not that they weren't trying, but in terms of what they were able to muster, I guess I'm just viewing it for the lens of, I don't think it was a no show or a choke job. I just think it was a test. Their approach was off, but also they just, they had like, they could not keep up. New Jersey was just so much faster. And, and a lot of the guys that they brought in just couldn't, it was a horrible matchup for them. So um, I, I view it as more credit to New Jersey and the team that they are, as opposed to, um, a disappointment by the Rangers. I thought the better team won. So I, I, I can't be disappointing in that regard, but certainly with the expectations they had and the reputation and all that. Yeah. It's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow for them. I'm sure. All right, Tom, let's uh, let's take our break here. And then when we come back, we will wrap up with the final two matchups in round two. You're listening to the hockey PDO cast streaming on the sports and radio network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Thomas Jantz doing a round two preview. Tom, we've done Oilers, Golden Knights, we've done Devils, Hurricanes. Let's do Stars Kraken. Um, we both went to Kraken Abs game three in Seattle. You were there for game four as well, covering the series from a, from a Kraken perspective for the Athletic. Um, let's put a let's let's wait to talk to the Kraken for a second because I want to start with the Stars because I love the Stars team, and I don't know how you can't. Unless you have some sort of preconceived notions about what they used to be, which they just have not been this year. They play fast. They score a ton of goals. They can beat you in any way you want to play. Um, they run up the score on opponents. They've beaten teams by three or more goals this season, 32 times, if you combine the regular season and playoffs. And they're led by exciting superstars at every single position, whether it's center, wing, defense, or or in that. And so, I don't know. I, I Talk me off the ledge here in terms of being as high on the stars as I am. I can't, honestly. I thought Rope Hints had a real coming out party. I think we've all known who he is. We've all known uh, that he's Rope Hims for a while, but this was a new level. I mean, uh, no one's going to fail to understand that this guy is an, an elite 1C now. I, and and look, I mean, Miro Heiskanen's been one of my favorite players since he came into the league. He's the sort of guy you need to see live almost to appreciate all, all of his impact. Like, I, I can't recommend enough going and seeing the stars live and just tracking um, Miro Heiskanen over the course of 60 minutes. It is wonderful to watch. Uh, he's a brilliant player uh, up and down the lineup. I mean... Jake Ottinger is the sort of guy now where when the stars have an early lead, you feel bad for their opponent. You're like, man, that must be frustrating yeah. to have to be shooting on Jake Ottinger in this circumstances. And, and obviously, I mean, yeah, look, I think the stars are really deep. One thing that played for them in a significant way in the first round. And I think it's going to be something they're going to need in a major way against the Kraken is they're going to need offense production, um, dynamic form from the likes of Domi and Dadnov yeah. and Padre? Um, Wyatt Johnston, Padre, yeah. <laughs> the, the the Padre Evgeny Dadnov, and and then and then Wyatt Johnston as well, who I, I think's been really impressive. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people slept on him as a Calder candidate, but he's been awesome for them all year. Uh, the fact that this team's gonna add Logan Stankoven next year, and I, I mean they've done a Jim Neal's done a really good job given that he hasn't, you know, ha had to tank or anything. He had some lottery luck with Haskinen. Um I, I look up and down this lineup and see a really good team, and yet a team that I think the Kraken sort of match up decently well with because they are reliant on their top end, right? Like, they are reliant on their top end, and we've seen the Kraken hold serve against a team like that. So I, I'm sort of curious to see. I, I think ultimately Dallas should be favored in this series. I think they'll win, and yet... It feels to me like it's going to be Domi, Dodonov, Johnston, who mm -hmm. like need to be impact players for them if they're going to avoid the the fate that the Avalanche hit, where the Kraken had enough depth to overcome the fact that you know the top end of this Stars lineup is as impressive as what just about anyone in the league has going for it at the moment. Yeah, but I feel significantly better about those guys delivering than I did Colorado's guys. Uh, beyond the top Ben line. Myers and Dennis Mulligan yeah. and company. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that was bleak. And, and, you know, Johnston, I think he's only got the one goal so far against the wild, but he had so many chances and, and he's going to get his, um, you know, quick notes, Rupe hints. I have, he's just pure serotonin. 
Like yeah. <laughs> just it, five goals, seven assists against the wild, just watching him sort of slingshot through the neutral zone is always a sight to behold. And, you know, if you let him roar through the middle of the ice like that, it's, it's over for you. I just, it's easier said than done. Cause it's like, all right, well, he's very fast. You gotta, you gotta keep your eyes on him. But the issue is with the, with the board play with Robertson Pavelski, when he's healthy now, say again on that line, you kind of have to account for those guys as well. And they're so good at quickly getting the puck off the wall and getting it to him with speed. And so it's almost impossible to actually game plan for slowing it down because eventually he's always moving. Eventually he will get his, uh, on Haskinen played 29 minutes per game in that series. Some of it was inflated by, uh, playing 41 minutes in game one, but 28, 19, 28, 25 and two regulation games to close the series out. Just him and Suter made Kaprizov's life living hell. They weren't able to generate anything at five on five with them on the ice. And so I wanted to make two notes on that. Here's where I think this is interesting from, from Seattle versus Kraken though. So in the regular season, the stars were fifth in power play efficiency. They scored 9.3 goals per 60 in round one. They absolutely destroyed Minnesota scoring nine power play goals in 34 minutes and Minnesota's not only lack of discipline, but kind of desperation realizing they didn't have the skill level to keep up to just try to be overly physical and turn the game into that sort of environment wound up costing them. Right. Mm -hmm. In this series, the Kraken are just an entirely different team. Like they're annoying to play against, but they use speed more so than that conventional, just throwing the body around and, and kind of being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. And so they don't take penalties. They were only shorthanded 18 times in seven games against Colorado, and they took the 10th fewest penalties in the regular season. And so if they can stay out of the box, you're right, at 5-on-5, five five, I think this might be much more evenly matched than you would think kind of just at first glance. And the Kraken are actually positioned to stay out of the box as opposed to what Minnesota wound up doing. It, it, it's a really good point. The Kraken, what, they only allowed one power play goal? Like they were scored on more shorthanded than they were on the power play. Um, you know, if they can neuter that advantage that Dallas should have in this series, that'll go a long way toward extending it and giving them a chance to do the, you know, scrappy get a bounce uh, thing that the Kraken relied on uh, against Dallas. I, I talked about Johnston, Dodonov, and, and Domia. I, I want to talk about the opposite, which is, you know, the, the Maddie Beneers line. And I know. Beneers, McCann, Eberly, you look at the counting stats from this past season, you think of them as the Kraken's top line. But against Colorado, they were kind of the third matchup, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Gord chased McKinnon around the ice, right? It was it was sort of that Jaden Schwartz line with Wenberg that that went and dueled uh, Miko Rantanen more often than not. And, and it was kind of that Beneers line that was drawing the Eller assignment that was sort of being used as a middle six line, both in terms of ice time, but also uh, in terms of matchup um, priority. And look, I'm not going to carve a 20-year-old center who, who's not like coming through in the playoffs or anything like that. Like I've been really impressed with Beneers' two-way game. I think he's a, a an amazing talent, mature. I, I was really impressed while covering the Kraken how – you know, in advance of like the first NHL Stanley Cup playoff games of his life, he was still carrying himself like the face of a franchise, like really taking that responsibility um, seriously, which it mm -hmm. is, especially in that market. But if if the Kraken are going to win here, that line needs to be heard of uh, or heard from. And obviously we know McCann um, or we don't know McCann status precisely. And, and that dents that line significantly, even though. Ty Cartier is now a household name for hockey fans. <laughs> um, but 
they are that that line's going to need to be big, immense for the Seattle Kraken. I think if they're going to outlast the Stars, I, I want to talk about one last thing that I'm really going to be watching closely in this series. Dim mm-hmm. Jake Ottinger is the last workhorse standing. Right, goalies who played sixty or more were one and four in the first round. Goalies who played fifty five or more were one and five in the first round. We we have entered a new era of goalie rest, and Ottinger is the last workhorse we still have in the playoffs. He played 62. Uh, he opened the playoffs with a double overtime game, right? And that Dallas barn is hot. Now, the weather's not outrageous in Dallas this week, which is a, a benefit. Um, you know, we're only talking about 82 Fahrenheit, like high 20s for games one and three. And I know this is an odd factor to monitor but truly that's one of the hottest buildings in the league and it's not unheard of over the course of a playoff game for a goalie to lose like 10 to 12 pounds of liquid <laughs> like truly like we're talking about an outrageous strain um and ottinger is not rested philip grubauer played 39 partly because he was recuperating from injury but th- there's a lot less wear on his tread going into this series we saw him be a big factor as that Kraken Avalanche series went along and he's way fresher than Ottinger is just way fresher. Um, the goalie matchup should favor Dallas, but we know that over a small sample of games, the, the elite on paper goalie doesn't always produce the better results. Um, you know, does how much does rest sort of blunt the advantage that Dallas should have in goal? That's, that's sort of the big, question for me when we when we analyze the the goalie matchup in this series Mm. yeah you're pulling up natural statric i'm pulling up the weather forecast we are not the same (laughs) (laughs) Um, no i i I know i i think it's definitely something to monitor i know kevin woodley has really been talking about this a lot and Mm -hmm. i have just so much confidence in ottinger right now but i'm very curious like this Kraken team does present a unique challenge, not only in the fact that they had 15 different goal scorers in round one against Colorado, but the way they create, it's like part of it is good fortune. Part of it is also they just, they know what they want to accomplish. Like they're very deliberate with their approach and they're very quick in executing it. Like there aren't too many mm. wasted motions or kind of, you know, just waiting around the offensive zone, killing time. It's like everything is point A to point B and then towards the net. And so if you're, a bit slow on that or you're unprepared for it, especially out of the gate in a series, I think the Kraken could potentially catch them by surprise a little bit. I think as the series goes along, maybe that becomes uh, less of a sort of surprise factor and less of an advantage, but certainly in the first couple of games, especially after a little bit of a break here for, for Dallas, I think it actually might work in Seattle's favor in, in that way. So I don't know. We should save the goalie talk for, for Woodley. He knows what he's talking yeah, yeah. about much more than we do, but we do obviously sure. will be a, a factor in the series. All right. Any other notes? We, uh, on, I on love that we're giving. I love that we're giving the Maple Leafs Panthers series such short shrift here. But one last thing about the how the crack can play. Hackstall was like two point point shot heavy when he was in Philadelphia. It was mm-hmm. like a very popular analytics critique of him. Yep. One thing to watch for that the Kraken do that's super interesting is particularly when Dunn and Larson are on the ice. Dunn has free reign to just go play Rover. Like it's not he he'll be below the goal line. Um, in certain shifts. And, and what happens when that occurs is the Kraken send one of their wingers, obviously, to cover the point. And all of those wingers, because of how the Kraken are constructed, are like lights out shooters, right? You're, you're talking Tolvanen, you're talking Bjorkstrand, you're talking Sprong, like you're talking lights out finishing talent. 
Um, and and they use that. Like they use that to create really challenging shots from up high, in, in addition to sort of the down low havoc. Um, that, that that's really their bread and butter. Um, just something to watch for in terms of how they might try to attack Ottinger. And there's there's a sort of other side of the coin here, which is when McKinnon and the Avs really got going against the Kraken. It was when the Kraken's high low game went haywire when they when they have turnovers because they're trying to work the puck down low with such discipline they often just have too high sometimes it's a winger covering the point and teams can do damage in terms of generating chances and, and ultimately goals against the Kraken in transition in those moments Dallas feels well built to me to capitalize off of that it's one of the reasons I prefer them in the series yeah that's well said I'm, I'm excited to watch those games um me too be a fun fresh they're gonna be a lot of fun Leafs Panthers. Let's close out on this. Um, it's also the first game starting, so listeners have the shortest amount of time to 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 consume this content before the game start. I promise I'll I'll do more in the series as the games go go along. But um, I don't know. I think the most interesting thing here is is purely the Panthers forecheck versus the Leafs defensemen and whether they're able to handle it better than the Bruins were because they just absolutely self-destructed and and totally just I mean they they ate them alive right and it wasn't yep. a surprise heading into the series but just seeing it play out in real time that way with no adjustments from the Bruins and just making the same mistakes over and over again like kudos to the Panthers Stunning. for being on brand and just sticking with it all the way through, like seeing how hard um their defensemen were kind of crashing down the walls, sealing off the wall seeing crashing down the board, sealing off the wall, and then just forcing the Bruins to like throw the puck in the middle of the ice and then sitting on that and turning that into high danger chances. They created eight goals in that series directly off of those types of turnovers. And so the Leafs generally um play better against aggressive forechecks in that way. They struggle against teams like the Lightning, who are a bit more passive in the neutral zone. Uh but they did struggle in that series, to be fair, in terms of getting any sort of consistent north-south rush transition attack against the Lightning. And so how they handle that in this series is, I think, going to be kind of where it's decided. If they can get by that, uh, they're going to have a lot of scoring opportunities themselves. It's just a matter of sort of limiting the number of turnovers they have in their own zone. I think the blue lines are like the blue line groups for both teams are, are kind of problematic. I know that Riley and Shen unlocked something and played above their level in that Tampa series. If that continues, I think there's a decisive edge to the Maple Leafs. Cause I don't know that the Panthers have a pair uh, that can go like that, even for a stretch of five, six games. I think both teams are going to be really reliant on their forwards to support the breakout. Luckily, both teams have really good two way forwards. And then you're going to have some really fun matchup stuff here. I think with, um, you know, I, I'd, I hope we get to see Bennett and, um, like the Bennett Kachuk line go head to head against that Tavares Nylander group because that's two two sort of really interesting downhill attacking lines um, that that both want to play an area game right uh, in terms of in zone I think it'd be a lot of fun if we get to see that matchup and then obviously Barkov Matthews if it if it breaks down like that is a is a is a marquee one between two of the top what five or seven two way centermen in the game so. I'm looking forward to those sort of aspects of the series. A lot. Of, I I think this is going to be a pretty high scoring one. We'll see how Florida handles their goalie situation. Looks like Alex Lyon might be starting game one, uh, based off of what what we're hearing or or the reports that are coming out of um, uh, the you know the old Air Canada Center, Scotiabank Arena on mm -hmm. Tuesday morning. Um, you know. <laughs> 
here's one last thing I'm looking forward to seeing. Do we finally get to watch a Leaf series without the undercurrent of like psychodrama <laughs> that's characterized all of their playoff appearances to this point? Like, is this an opportunity to kind of see the Leafs clearly now that the monkey is off their back? And I think if we do, then we're going to see, you know, a, a really talented team with maybe more two-way skill up front than people realize, but perhaps a less dynamic back-end group than, than you know, advertised yeah well they also i think they're they're coming to the series as pretty heavy favorites right um yeah and and so i don't think the panthers will necessarily mind that but i think that's fair because this is uh this is a a, a much better matchup for the leafs than the bruins would have been um i think so too so the panthers i think against... this is the i think this is like stylistically the most favorable of the second round like you know, if you were to say this is a bad matchup for one team in this round, like I think the Leafs are a bad matchup for Florida in this round in a way that I don't think I'd say about any of the others. Like I wouldn't say that the matchup is favorable in the same way in any of the others. Like I, I think the Edmonton Oilers are just materially better than Vegas at this point, but that's that's different. Like from yeah. a stylistic perspective, I, I really think the Leafs have a have a have an edge matchup wise in this series. That, that I don't think applies to the other other uh, three series. And I think they feel the that round. way as well. Um, and so, yeah. you know, Panthers versus Bruins, four check shots in that series at 5 5 were 81 to 41 for Florida. Oh my goodness. Um, the other thing, though, and, and so it's the best, it's the team, it's the best at preventing you from exiting cleanly against a Leafs team that despite what you said about their blue line talent, because of how their forwards provided support was the best team in the league in the regular season at exiting cleanly. Now, yep. I don't think they should even try to exit cleanly in this series. I think they should get the I puck into the neutral zone and just puck punt and, yeah, and get into puck retrieval mode, uh, 50, 50 pucks because the Panthers are so aggressive. And if they're just going to go full blast on the four check and get deep like that, all of a sudden you want to get into these sort of two on twos, one on ones in the neutral zone against their defenders. And they're so aggressive that for all the talk about how all oh, the Leafs couldn't create in transition or off the rush against the Lightning, well, this series is going to open up for them. Like this should be a huge Willie Nylander series. Like he should have a lot of odd man rush opportunities. Same with Matthews and Marner. And so I think this is a much more favorable game environment for them creating offensively in that way. The other thing the Panthers do though is they led the league in the regular season at scoring off of rebounds, right? And it makes sense with the personnel they have with Bennett and Kachuk. They dominated the Bruins there as well in round one. And you mentioned Shen. He was so good with Riley in round one against the Lightning. And you would think this is like the perfect situation for that, right? With Riley's ability to get into the, the transition and join and activate that way. And then Luke Shen's kind of job around the net and sort of doing all of that like traditional uh, defensive defenseman stuff. Like this is going to be a huge series for them. If they can keep up their play from round one, then that's going to be huge for Toronto's chances in doing what I think people are expecting them to do. I'm fascinated to see how that pair progresses here because the level that they hit in the first round astonished me. Like I, I thought they, I thought they were Toronto's best thing in terms of their five on five game in a series in which Toronto didn't play all that well, five on five. So uh, that to me is like one of the things I'm most fascinated to watch, particularly, you know, given the Vancouver connections from both guys um, and, and my personal regard for Shen, I, I'd love to see uh, them keep it going, but uh, I think it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to sustain that level of play. Well, the Panthers have the three duos, right? Like they alternate some of these guys, but they have Barkov or Hagee. 
Then they have mm-hmm. Bennett, Kachuk, and then Lundell and Reinhardt play really well together. Yeah. They need so much more from Barkov. Like he scored the one goal, which was kind of like an, an empty net tap in against the Bruins. He had yep. one primary assist in the series, eight five on five shots on goal, and all of his shares were like under 40%. Um, especially if he's going to go head to head against Matthews. There's a defensive component there, certainly, but he's going to need to produce much more, um, especially if he's going to sort of turn around the reputation of like, he hasn't really had that big playoff moment yet, right? This is an opportunity yeah. for him, certainly, especially with the attention. Um, there's that. Do you want to talk? We can quickly talk about Kachuk um, and the impact he had in round one and, and him antagonizing Leafs fans is going to be absolutely hilarious in this series. Um, <laughs> He's going to rise to this moment in such a good way. Um, what okay. would you put the well, percentage he... of Leafs, Leafs jerseys in games three and four at? Like 75% of the crowd or... Hi, hi. But yeah. I know that's become like a bit of a story, but like, no, that's, that's the right. It's not call. a story. Every league does that. No, for sure. It's still a, it, it's still a story in terms of people are talking about it. I know, but it's like, not a unique my mom's thing. Asking like, me oh, about it. Yeah, no, it's it's not a unique thing, but it's the sort of thing that um, like hits the ether, hits the zeitgeist. Expands well, I love the idea that sports. that's going to be effective and prevent Leafs fans from being at those games. Yeah, there's there's too many expats in, yeah. in South Florida. It's too transient, but it's the right call. Like, it's something you have to do everything you can to try and make it as much of a home environment as you can. Now, and that game so, six against the Bruins was, was actually a really good home environment. Obviously, scoring yeah. as many goals as they did and having such a fun game certainly helps cultivate that. But yeah, totally. that was that was surprising considering what I expected heading into that series. And that that building sits seats a lot of people. Like, people don't realize BB&T is, like, huge. It's one of the, you know, I think you can sit, you know, uh, I, I, like, whatever you announce as a sellout, you can probably sit 2,000 more beyond it. You can you can fit almost 25k people in that building and it gets loud. Like that's a fun place to watch a hockey game, um, despite it being an aging arena that's you know well out in the suburbs, in fact, by the swamp. Um, that atmosphere should be extraordinary uh for this series. I think it's gonna be a ton of fun. Hey, let me let me frame the Kachuk thing for you like this. Rank first round playoff performances from McKinnon, mm-hmm. hints, Kachuk, Dreisaitl. I have Dreisaitl one. I just thought yep. he was the most dominant and impactful from start to finish. Um, I mean, it's tough. McKinnon, McKinnon's on ice versus off ice splits were so preposterous. I, but, I'd go McKinnon one, but they lost. I'd go McKinnon one. I've never yeah. seen anyone go like straight Mamba mentality on a playoff series the way he did in games two, three, and six. Like he literally had to be at the level of an NBA superstar in terms of individual impact for his team to win a single game yeah. in the playoffs. And he did it almost four times. Like I thought for me, McKinnon's one, but I, you know, anyway, if you put him second, I won't quibble with it. Yeah. I mean, Kachuk was unbelievable. They outscored them seven, two at five on five with them on the ice. <laughs> and he had the five goals, six assists and creating so many chances. I guess one final note on the series though, the Panthers, because of how aggressive they are, take so many penalties and dumb ones at that. And they gave the Bruins 45 minutes of power play time in the seven games they played, and the Bruins had 11 goals in that stretch. The Leafs' power play has struggled in past postseasons, didn't have any of those issues against the Lightning, where I think they scored like 11 goals per hour in, in those six games. And so they're going to get their opportunities. I just keep coming back to like the Panthers are going to pose certain problems, but this is such an ideal series for the Leafs' top players that there's just like they should be able to get any sort of looks that they want. And if they're able to convert on them and come through, like the Leafs are going to be perfectly fine in the series. 
and and monkey off their back too. Like I, I'm expecting the least skilled players to have a coming out party of sorts in this series. I, I think this one's um, going Toronto's way, and I, I think it'll go five or six. So going to be a ton of fun, man. I can't wait for tonight. Okay, let's get out of here, Tom. I'll let you quickly just let the listeners know where they can check you out. Canucks talk on this very radio station, Sportsnet 650, also wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm writing at The Athletic. I have five Canucks-centric takeaways from a postseason in which they're not playing in uh, going up shortly. Uh, I'll, I'll have a salary cap column later on in this week. So check that all out there at theathletic.com. Awesome, buddy. Well, enjoy round two. We'll chat soon. Thank you to the listeners for sticking around with us today. We'll be back tomorrow with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.